You're listening to The Artful Periscope, the nimble art of storytelling, pulling the thread which weaves the tale that affects us all. In relationships, how many threads are unwoven out of the darkness into the light? I'm Larry Davidson. Welcome to the podcast, Artful Periscope. We explore the nimble craft of storytelling. On this episode, Joseph Amandilia, an award-winning film director and president and owner of I Like to Play With Toys Productions. And Joseph, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, so the whole setup, what I try to do all the podcasts, it's for storytellers. Sure. So how do you define yourself as a storyteller? Um, well, I think of myself as a director first, right? And then since nobody gives me anything to direct, I have to write my own stories to direct them. Um, I started when I was 17. I took this TV class in high school. And, um, you know, it just kind of stuck with me. I never gave it up. Uh, what I found myself doing in high school was all the other kids, they would do something. I see what they were doing. And I was like, wait, I could do that better. Right, right. <laughs> so I had a good technical mind uh, for it when I was younger. Um, and then translating it into college and everything else was, was certainly a lot more challenging. So let's take a couple of steps back. Yeah. When I sit down with writers and authors, singer-songwriters, I say there are two stories. There's a story between the covers of the book and there's a story outside, their own personal story. So take us way back, if you don't mind. Where did you grow up and how did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Belrose, Queens, um, working class family. My dad was an electrician. My mom's a school teacher. Um, I'm the youngest of four. Uh, two older brothers, one older sister, and, uh, you know, everyone kind of does their own thing, and the youngest one kind of just skates by and <laughs> is a little bit forgotten here and there, but that's pretty much it. So we had a conversation before we started. Yeah. Some of the movie Broken Hearted mm -hmm. is shot at Hofstra University. Right. I know exactly where the scenes are. So you had, a, you had a master's degree at Hofstra? What was that about? Yeah, so I was in the... Um, speech communication performance and rhetorical studies program that's all one major it's <laughs> and, a mouthful yeah I think they've condensed them since then but uh, that was my master's program and um, I just remember it's just a nice campus so when we were filming um, my first assistant director Dan Hoffman I was like "How? where are we going to shoot these scenes on the college like, let's just do it at Hofstra and I was like that's right they're not going to they don't bother you when you're filming stuff there. They, they let you do it, you know, student films. Um, there was one shot where the security came up to us, uh, the scene where we, somebody may or may not get run over by a car. And they're like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, student film, don't worry. Because um, I think Jason was driving the car. Jason got a little close during one of the takes. Right. Got us all a little worried. So security got a little nervous we were going to. Get we hurt. will take a deep dive into the film, but the scene you're describing is almost leading to a major reveal. Is that accurate? Um, I don't know if that's a big reveal in the film. Uh, it's definitely a twist toward the end. Okay. But, uh, All right. All right. Because there's, yeah. a, there's a note that he reads and later on kind of forgets. And right, right. Move, we'll talk about the yeah. ending, too. Um, the business of movie making, especially in terms of indie films... Is it a difficult road? Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 an understatement. So I had written Broken Hearted in 2016. And then I got distracted with uh, this other film, The Cosplayer, which is actually playing at DerpyCon in two weeks. Uh, but um, then I went back to Broken Hearted. I did a bunch of rewrites. and I'll, I, I must have rewrote that movie like 10, 20 times. And um, finally got it to a point where I, I was like, okay, we can film this. And when you're doing it by yourself, then you have to do casting. Right. You have to secure all the locations. I actually wouldn't progress with Broken Hearted until I secured all the music first. Most times you secure music at the end. But it's such a music-heavy film, I wanted to make sure everything was planned out to the songs that I was able to secure. And that took about six months to do. So once I got the music, then I started casting and I started 
getting locations at the same time. So the big thing in movies, in my opinion, and you're the expert, location, 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 yeah. but also casting. Talk about casting the film. Casting, um, I used some regulars that I've been using all along. And then if I couldn't get them because of schedules or whatever, I went to a casting website. And what I do is I have them meet me and audition around where we're going to film. Because that's really the audition. Can you get to where we're going to film? Because um, there's no money involved. And so I want to make sure that they can get to the location. They're okay making that commute for right. X amount of months. Um, so when I get someone who replies like, listen, I don't want to come out there just for an addition and, and I might not get it. Like, okay, no problem. I don't take it personally, but that's really the bigger part of the audition. Cause if I find an actor who can just adjust to whatever notes I give them, then when you have a good actor, um, if you have an actor who can't really change it up based on right. the feedback, that's that's not someone who's probably going to to make the cut. And anyone who doesn't show up to the audition is definitely not going to make the cut. So let's talk about, as the creator in a sense, you wore many hats and brokenhearted, um, interviewing somebody, auditioning, giving them notes, and what is something called the sides? Um, sides, are they just little um, audition? For me, sides, I give them out to people who are auditioning so they can read. Or they're just little – sides aren't necessarily always part of the script. Sometimes you can just write a side that's just kind of going for an emotion you want when you're auditioning an actor. Um, or you just give them a piece of the script. I just give them a piece of the script because no one's stealing my stuff. So then <laughs> uh, it's just easier. I don't feel like writing new stuff. So in terms of the description of Broken Hearted, this is what I read. American Graffiti meets The Notebook. Yeah, that's that's an interesting combination. What do you think that means? American Graffiti, which is a classic film, yeah. and a tearjerker in a sense, The Notebook. Well, American Graffiti, when Lucas was making that film, George Lucas was making that film, he was pitching it as a um, like a big musical. And Ron Howard's like, but there's I can't sing or dance. He's like, no, no, it's not like that. They didn't have music videos back then. Right. So really, it's one giant music video. And so you have this wall-to-wall, like, pop music from the 50s. And I was trying to capture that with the heavy music rotation. And then The Notebook with the love story and the drama, that's where they kind of go in. And there's this little love triangle where the girl has to choose which guy she wants. So it really is, here's American Graffiti, and then here's The Notebook. It's not about, you know, American Graffiti, the, I think the plot was like their last night out right. before they all right. split up. Suzanne Summers in that yeah. little cameo, which is classic till today, right. driving right. away in her car. Um, but the, uh, the Notebook aspect is, you know, I wanted to kind of go for a more dramatic thing because usually I write comedies. And then when I try to write drama, it comes out funnier than any comedy I'm writing. But in this case... After a few rewrites, people were, were giving me positive feedback, so I, so I pursued it. So in terms of your sense of humor, and there's a mention in the film about many dresses, bridal dresses. That, that, <laughs> that made me laugh because that's a reference to a movie, obviously. Is it? Is yeah. It? Um, no, it just came from just years of conversations I've had with people and the different wedding dresses I've seen. And um, The joke is, if anyone hadn't seen the film, is um, the – prettier the bride the nicer the bridesmaid dress and um you know that was most people agreed with that that uh theory but then someone had a theory no no the bridesmaid dresses are purposely made hideous so right. it doesn't matter they're all just going to be ugly and you just have to pick the best of the options so i told you i the movie's now available on amazon prime Right. I watched it over the weekend prior to you coming because I wanted to get a feel for it. Right, thank you. I think that's helpful. You're the one. <laughs> There's more than one. There's more than one, I'm sure. So opening montages fascinate me in terms of telling a story and what, what's coming. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's foreshadowing. The, one of the greatest opening montages was West Side Story. Yeah. It's beautiful. To this day, the original film, it just pulls you right in. I also thought your opening montage was interesting. Can you set that up? Thank you. That's that's quite a comparison to West Side Story. I don't think I quite achieved that. But um, the, uh, the idea was I wanted to show everyone at different points 
in their life and their relationship. Though when I actually wrote the script, I got so focused on the main couple, the other characters kind of fall a little bit in the backdrop. Right. But I still wanted that opening montage because the song sets the tone for the whole film, what it's going to be like, where everyone is, what their attitude is. So th that's interesting. Mm -hmm. I think what you're talking about is synergy. So how do you match up the scenes, the characters with the proper song? Because the song is also enhancing the story. Um, I usually, when I wrote it, I had some temp songs in my more mainstream popular songs, right. but I couldn't afford those. So when I started researching, I just tried to find songs that either sound similar or were better. In most cases, I think I taught myself by finding better songs. Um, from independently produced bands, people I know, friends, and then I did some outreach just, just you know, through the internet. Uh, Bandcamp is a wonderful place to find indie music. Oh, Pete Mancini's been a guest. I love Pete. He always yeah. talks about Bandcamp. It's a great, it's a great place to post your music, and you know, it takes hours of research to find your music that you're looking for. But uh, when you do, it's it's well worth it. So I think this movie is about, and the beauty of any story and storytellers. It's your own individual interpretation, how you take this in. My interpretation in terms of the narrative and the theme, it's about conflicted relationships and tensions. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Sounds right. <laughs> so did you have that in mind? Or that kind of came out of what you were doing from scene to scene to scene? Um, I didn't really, I don't know if I had anything in mind. I just wanted to tell a dramatic story that I could make, that I can make on a budget. Um, you know, usually my thoughts always end up in outer space or, <laughs> or somewhere, someplace I can't afford. And I had a, just kind of, was like, what's something really grounded that everyone can relate to? Uh, and what I found was when I sent it to my friends, all the girls said, I had a boyfriend who treated me that terribly all the time. And all the guys were like, I had a girl like that in my life once who, who, who crapped all over me. Um, so everyone had someone there like, did you write this about me? Like, no, I didn't. I just, but I've seen enough of those stories that that's, that's where I got it from. So let's reset. This is the podcast, Artful Periscope. Joseph, how do you pronounce your last name? Because I've heard different pronunciations. So correct if the record could, <laughs> if I butchered it, it's not the first time. I've done that many times. I once did an open to my own TV program where I fumbled on my own name. So how do you pronounce it properly? Uh, with a name like mine, uh, I usually just agree with whatever anyone says. Uh, but it's Amendalia, if okay. anyone's wondering. All right. Uh, but you can say it any way you want. I don't get insulted. It's, All right. It's a lot of word, letters, a lot of syllables. Well, you're very diplomatic. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. So in terms of the art and craft of storytelling, did you shoot the movie out of sequence? Yeah. So um, I shot it based on the locations I could get. So the first scenes we got were at Coaster's Tavern in East Meadow. So all those bar scenes were shot first. Right. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but I could definitely see the actors kind of evolving as we did more shots. Yeah. So I, if I could go back and reshoot any scenes, it would be those early scenes because they were still kind of figuring out the character at that point. Um, so when I see the bar, I'm like, ah, oh, we could have gotten that right after like a couple of weeks. But that was um, that was the hardest shooting because we had to shoot it after the bar closed at like 3 a.m. And we shot until until the sun came up. And then... So can I interject? This is a question yeah. I always wonder about. You hear... Uh, people in, in movies, independents, but more so Hollywood films, that they shoot for two minutes and are hanging around in their trailer for 10 hours. So how do you keep the energy level up because you're shooting at 3 o'clock in the morning? Um, we didn't stop. We kept going. Uh, I shoot a lot faster, especially since I have a location that they gave it to me for free and they're waiting for me to get done. So... Um, the other thing is uh, a lot of my actors are kind enough to help out and, and pitch in with some crew work here and there. So um, like Dylan, Dylan Isaacs, I think he was holding the boom mic at some times. And, and then, you know, Irene pitched in and helped people out with their makeup. So it really was all hands on deck. Everyone had something to do when they wouldn't, they didn't have anything to do. Uh, so you mentioned Dylan and I focused on his last name and I'll tell you what, it's probably no connection, but a guest of mine has been Susan Isaacs, the great writer. And I wonder if there was connection there at all. I don't know. Um, Dylan's from, I know he's from the island. He's out in mm -hmm. Suffolk somewhere. Mm -hmm. She's definitely from Long Island. 
So it's, I'm curious because a lot of times the offspring of people that are very talented try to go in a different direction, but also want to stay in the world of storytelling. And I'd have to ask him. I honestly don't know. Um, well, you have homework when you leave. <laughs> yeah. Here. All right. So I want to talk about some other things, but talk a little bit about your film history as much as I know about that. Um, you mentioned cosplay 2017. You dumped, I think, it was 2015. Right. And, and talk about the films because I want to promote you as much as possible. I know it's a, it's a tough world to get an audience to you and keep your career going. So from your first films and some of your shorts, I think you did a music video too. Yeah. Do you see the progressions from film to film to film? So touch upon your film history. And as you matured along the way, are you seeing a different side of yourself? Um, I was actually, I'd have to go back to high school when I was making my, my videos. Um, this was back in the analog days where nonlinear editing was still kind of new, especially for like a high school. Class. 17 years old, correct? Yeah. Um, so we had this, uh, this audio track that you dub over tape, VHS tape. And I wanted to do a music video. It was uh, photographed by Def Leppard. I wanted to have my friends and I lip sync to the song. But you couldn't do that off off a loop, off off the audio. You guys are before TikTok. Or, yeah. So um, I kept bothering my teacher and he's like, I, I think there's a way to do it in, in the computer system. We'll figure it out. And he showed me. I was like, all right. So I actually went in and, and I was probably the only person in the class to figure out how to really sync up music with what you were doing. Where back in that day, you'd have to cut it together and then throw the audio track on top. So it never would quite sync up, but I never liked that. So, um, and this is all pre YouTube, pre everything, pre, uh, um, you know, I wanted to make a real MTV style music video. And then from there, um, when I went on to college, you know, the tech was getting more available. So I was still right. making these low level, like just fun skits with my friends. And then YouTube comes out. My friend says, my friend Mike's like, you should put this video on on YouTube. Uh, it's really good. It's um, It was actually, it's called Broken Hearted. It's by this band, 18 Visions. Um, so I posted it and it got like, I don't know, like 60 or 80,000 views or something like that. Um, I don't even call it viral, but it, it got a lot of views. And this is early days of the internet. So... Um, I was like, oh, maybe this is a backdoor in if I can keep churning out stuff. So I posted my high school videos. I, I posted anything I can make. But YouTube is unpredictable. And now it's this 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 algorithm that, you know, people make. So you can't even work it that way. Um, and at which point, like, I finished school and, and I had to get a job. So I'm working at this insurance company. I'm, you know, it's not the most exciting job. So I decide I'm going to make a feature right at which point i make um dumped uh, that came out in 2015 but prior to that i had made a feature called officers in college uh it's an hour long it's probably one of the worst things i made it's online you guys could watch it for free it's on youtube um it's just a terrible movie but you learn from that i learned a lot from officers and everything i did wrong in officers i made sure not to do again when i made dumped so I made sure to have a schedule. I made sure to have everything cast and everything planned out before we did it. We're officers. We're just kind of just me and my friends just goofing around. I actually cast some legitimate actors in Dumped and um, put out every sequence I could. Um, and and that's where Dumped came into play. I, I think uh, maybe the failure with Dumped was the film quality itself. Right. Um, it's not as uh, visually spectacular as others. But uh, – I always appreciated the story and what we did. And so when I applied it to Broken Hearted, I took anything that didn't work and dumped and I fixed that. And if I can say anything, if you're going to make films, the best way to learn is to actually make them and just keep right. making right. them. And, you know, you, you tweak as you go. <laughs> I think of the great films like Gone with the Wind. And one thing I remember about that and the great movie palaces in the past, they always took an intermission. We're going to step aside for a while. We come right back. I'm Larry Davidson. This is the podcast, Arco Periscope. The Artful Periscope is brought to you by Larry Davidson Productions. 
To learn more about Larry, previous interviews, and further content, visit LarryDavidsonProductions.com. I'm Larry Davidson. Welcome back to the podcast, Awful Periscope. We're exploring the world of independent filmmaker Joseph. What fascinates me and what you do is dialogue and scene partners. How important is, is that? That the dialogue is important, but also having a scene partner you can trust. That's interesting. Um, let's start with the scene partners. Uh, Irene Jean Santos, she's the lead actress in the film. She told me when she told me at well after the fact, she's like, what I made sure to do was flirt with all the main actors you were auditioning me against. So you'd know that I had chemistry with them. And I didn't realize that she was doing that. But looking back, I was like, oh, that's what she did. Because when I auditioned her with Chris and I auditioned her with Jason, Chris and Irene, they were really flirting with each other. So I guess Chris had the same idea. And her and Jason, Jason wasn't really flirting back, I guess. (laughs) Um, but Jason ended up playing Andrew in the film, and he was—he's also the star of the cosplayer. Now, what, he, was he the? Who was the boy? Her boyfriend. Um, well, her real boyfriend is in the film. Um, what was it? His real name's Tyler. Okay, because in the film, there's the conflict, there's the right. triangle, right there, which is really interesting. <laughs> I just want to interject something. Of all, I watched the film. I tried to do a little bit of homework on the background of each of your actors. And the one that impressed me the most was her. Yes. Yeah. There was something about her that your eyes are drawn to her. The other actors are good, but no disrespect. I think she's. I think she was better. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, she has a great um, stage presence to her. Very um, much so. A lot of energy, and um, she had a tough character because. Um, the character's a bit erratic and with the scenes that I ended up cutting from the film it makes her even a little more crazy than she's supposed to be um, just for time I had to cut things that kind of gave you perspective why she acts the way she acts and then none of that ends up in the cut that's on Amazon Prime so the one thing that I learned from, from watching films uh, Joseph Cannon has been a guest of mine his book became the movie The, the Good German major movie release and I learned from him when movies, but even more so in books, is something called compression of time. How do you deal with compression of time in terms of keeping the story going? Um, <clears throat> well, I didn't originally. I made a long cut. There's like a two-hour and five-minute cut of the film, right. and then um, that I played for everybody, just so everyone got their moment and their scene. And there's a version out there for that. But for film festivals, I knew I had to get it down under two hours, so I think I got it down to like. An hour, an hour fifty or something like that. But ultimately, um, that was still, I guess, a little too long. So once I got it down to the one hour forty-four minutes, that's when it started really taking off. People started accepting it into festivals and things like that. So I want to take that one step further because a lot of times you'll you'll see a scene, television, movies, character gets into a car. We don't follow the whole journey. We see where they arrive. And that's another aspect. And you have a lot and a lot of movement in this film. So that's kind of what I'm getting at. How do you keep it flowing but not keeping it long or seeing somebody getting in a car, driving to his girlfriend's house, getting out of the car? That's th- that takes up a lot of time. Oh, um, just show the most important parts. Um, also, since I was cueing it to the music, everything was timed out. You have to hit this point at this 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 cue at this time. Uh to match the tone of the song um so some of that some of that took a little like couple of takes so there's one thing i'm going to challenge you on and i wonder why you did this because um the character is brian yeah we meet him early on i you know he's getting his phd at at hofstra i believe and i laughed because it was one scene we talked about in the parking lot where he's got a yukon shirt on yukon huskies which is my daughter's and myself's favorite basketball teams. So I and I looked into his background. He's from he's from yeah. Connecticut. So I kind of laughed. That's an inside joke. Yeah. But we meet him early on. And he's still got the white man's version of dreadlocks. Yeah. And then shortly shortly after picking this woman up, Michelle is her name and think character. Yeah. yeah he's clean cut. Yeah. So what happened there? What um, are you trying to say. Well, that's the ultimate goal. Was um, he was supposed to be this. 
messy kind of guy, though it's hard to make Chris ever look messy. Well, he's a male model, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I found out like halfway through filming, it's Chris like, you know, I have these really thick rimmed black glasses I could have worn. I was like, well, that's a little late, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so he wears contacts. Um, so the idea was to just show him as kind of disheveled as we could. Well, and that, then, it, it worked that way. And then, you know, he the idea is the outward change that he's trying to impress her. And what's the best way? Well, get rid of that 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 hideous hair and, and show him clean cut and, and, and pretty. <laughs> And so that's where I took that from. Uh, the best movie reference I could think of is A Knight's Tale, where Heath Ledger had Heath this Ledger. rough, right, right. like, dreadlocky kind of hair. And, and then when he became a knight, he trimmed up and shaved and became more clean cut. So you're mentioning that movie with Heath Ledger. I've served the movie. When you sit down to create whatever's in your head, are you pulling other references besides the independent film world? Yeah. Of well, well, let's, what references are you pulling on? Um, well, Night's Tale is a good reference. Um, Reality Bites was another one. Oh, that's um, great. Just in terms of overall story structure, I always look at Rocky and Goodwill Hunting um, as inspirations. Uh, <laughs> though I might, not, I might not take it bit for bit. Those are mm. great, just kind of underdog films. Uh, I, I, I think about this a lot. I really miss Robin Williams. Yeah. Goodwill Hunting was a Matt Damon was a great film, and to this day, when I found out that he died the way he died, I still think about that. Yeah. So that reference to that film, I thank you for because that brings up something visceral in me, and I can watch that movie in the middle, one third in, two thirds in, at the end, and I'll just watch it anyway, and I know exactly what's going to happen, but the evolution of the characters. So if I extrapolate from that, how have your characters evolved during the course of the film? It's interesting how you brought that up. I actually use Robin Williams as a reference for my actors. And I always say if you want to look at great acting, look at Robin Williams and how right, he would right. move as an actor and how his movements embodied the character more than anything else. Um, and I always – I have a little like five-minute thing I found online that I always show them to describe his acting style. So um, when I'm directing actors in uh, their characters, I try to give them a whole backstory and history that doesn't necessarily make the film but just to give them a reference to pull from. That's something I want to explore also. When you talk to some people that are professionals and maybe not professionals, just starting out in their career – a lot of times they will create their own backstory. Did some of your cast do that or all the direction all came from you in terms of come up with a backstory? This is what our backstory should be. I gave them feedback and if they filled in the blanks with what they needed to find the character, uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't know. But I gave them whatever information I thought of when I was writing it. And then um, they went with it. Did your characters ever tell you while you were shooting, this is not working? Let's try something different. Um, not to no. <laughs> Actually, they never did that. Um, if something wasn't working, we both we we all kind of knew. I think one time, I think there was one shot. I think I wanted the character like um, the character of Tommy. I was like, Tyler, why don't you lay on the bed on your stomach? He's like, No, that that looks weird. He, he's right. right. So he he's like, I'm gonna lay on my back. I was like, Okay. And then I think the. Um, the scene, there's a scene at the end where the character Brian and Andrew are talking. I didn't like the lighting and I thought it was too dark. I wanted to reshoot it and, and Chris and, and Chris and Jason said, no, they weren't going to do it. They're like, ah, oh, no, it's fine. So there are so many elements that go into making a movie. Casting, directing, editing. How important is the right crew. You just mentioned lighting. Look, I worked in television over the years, and, and quick aside, uh, my TV program, Davidson & Company, came out of the Fort Lewis studio in Floral Park. I know Floral Park. I know Belrose. I know across the line to Belrose Village, which I think was some of the scenes shot in Belrose Village, some of the homes right there they're coming in and out of. Um, no, not Belrose Village. In Belrose, Queens, actually. In Belrose, Queens, yeah. right across the line. Yeah. So I, I thought so, because that looked like Queens, because some of your characters live there. Yeah. So, 
just give some props to the crew because they work so hard and their name, name are in their credits, but it's usually the actors in front, quote unquote, the talent that gets all the kudos. Yeah. Um, yeah, my crew, it was uh, rotating. So we only have like two or three people um, any given day. But uh, so if you look at the the uh, credits, you'll see this huge crew, but they yeah. all weren't there at the same day. Right. It was different right. people on different days helping out, you know, having to stand there and hold a boom pole for, you know, who knows how long the take took and, and not getting tired. Um, you know, you can tell the difference what different crew members were more focused on. Right. And so I know certain days and certain shots, I'm like, oh, I've only had this one here for this one shot. It would have it would have came out a little differently. Not that anyone did a bad job, but everyone had their own kind of specialty. And So if I think of the brothers McMullen, shot a lot of stuff in family homes and things mm -hmm. like that. It got picked up and became a monster and elevated their careers. If somebody gave you enough money or more than enough money, what would you do with it? What, would you, what kind of a movie would you make? That's interesting. Um... I'd probably make the same movies I'm making now. Uh, I would just have more time and more assets to get it done properly instead of always rushing. I always feel like I'm rushing to get things through because we only have a small window to film right, or, right. you know, um, we just don't have enough people around. I could, I could fill in scenes a lot larger, like the ice skating scene. It's relatively small scale compared to what I wanted, but. Uh, that's where we are. So is there something to be said for guerrilla filmmaking? Because the energy level has to be up. There are not 10 takes and not 15 takes. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's one, maybe there's two. But that brings a certain amount of energy. And also, a lot of times when a TV program or movie works for me, I don't want to know these people from previous roles. I want it to be fresh. Robert De Niro is Robert De Niro. Al right. Pacino, they're gifted. They're tremendous as Al Pacino. A lot of times they take roles because they need the money for what else they want to do. So how much of just having unknowns works for you and for the film down, um, the, road, down the road for your career? Um, I mean, they're all just, they're all immensely talented. Uh, um, I mean, I do recycle my actors whenever I, know I can. I that. <laughs> so that's a stock company, um, right? You yeah. and Woody Allen and do that, and even Martin Scorsese has a stock company. Um, it, it it's usually just comes down to scheduling, right? Who's available when? So um, because if I could, I would just work with the same people all the time. Uh, but it's nice when you get a new actor in there and, and, you, and you flow with them, and then it's like, oh, it's another person that can just join the crew and and, and do something else later on. Um, I just try to vibe with people who are just nice and mellow and, and understand what we're trying to do. And anyone who's adding unneeded stress to something, that's not someone you want to keep working with. Uh, thankfully, I've never had to deal with anyone like that. Right. Um, maybe it's because they're they're younger and and more they're hungry yeah they're hungry let's go it's their resume um, thing they're hungry you know they don't have the egos yet right. but um i can't imagine any of the people i've worked with to even grow an ego like that in the future but so you want to be the master of your own universe i understand that i agree with that basically what i do is i have except for people i really trust to work on this podcast who are very talented themselves it's it's me it's me and a few people that i love to death and and work really hard to make this thing work Somebody came to you, Joseph, and said, I want to hire you as a director. I want you to write a screenplay for me. What would you do, my friend? I'd say yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, no problem there. They just So you're saying carte blanche, I can make anything I want? Um, well, once again, if somebody hires you as a director, right. you're pretty much there. That's their vision. You want to direct it. The director is okay. a different animal than the creator of of the movie, whatever. They're hiring you to do their version of whatever, but they want you to direct. Or they want you to come to me. I like your films. I think you have some talent. We want you to do on spec. You know what on spec right. means? Write some screenplays. Would you agree to that? Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I? I, I can't say no to anything at this point. Um, actually, a friend of mine came up to me, asked me to adapt this book called Run, Gunny, Run. Um, and turn it into a screenplay. And then we we're going to do a read through for the author. So I, I, I had like four weeks to read this book and write 
write a feature for it. And I went, okay. So I, I did like the fastest reading I, I had done in years. And I just started writing and I, and I, I belted out this script and I changed a lot from the source material because um, the source material wasn't very cinematic. It worked great for a book, but there's a lot of technical things in it about how to run in a marathon and how to do this. It wasn't a lot of um, character growth. So I, so, I, so I reshaped the whole screenplay to focus more on the characters and growing from where he is at point A to at the end, you know. Um, we never had this, the read-through for the, the author of the book, though, so it's just sitting on the shelf. I actually really liked the script, and my friend who had approached me said he liked the script, but we just can't progress at this point. All right, here's what I'm going to say to you. Yeah. I have a background in marathon running. Yeah. So any con things ever happens to you, let me know, and we'll, we'll promote it as much as possible. I'll let you know if, if I can ever get it off the ground. I understand that world because when, when I also train marathon runners – as well as doing numerous ones myself all over the country, that the beauty of a marathon is it's like a book that's unwritten. It starts at the start of the race. Things happen as you progress, and the ending of the marathon race is the ending of your experience. And what I've learned, this is really interesting. I don't know if you came across this in, in the book, because it's a great movie called The Loneliness of a Long-Distance Runner. It's a classic British film. Cla Tom Courtney uh, started it. That when, and I don't know if you experience it when a project is over, when the marathon's over, they've trained for months and months and months, they cross the finish line, it's almost like a little bit of depression sets in because it's over, what's next? So this is a long-winded question, but when you finish your project, is there any sense of, of depression because it's over and you're wondering what's next? Uh, when I usually finish a film, I'm like, I'm or do you go drinking or whatever? <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do this ever again. Well, okay. But then, I don't know, maybe a few weeks later, some idea pops in my head. I'm like, maybe I should do it. Um, maybe I'll just write it down. And then, it, and then it creeps back up and I have to start all over. Um, but initially when I'm done after all that hours of work and everything, I'm like, that's it. It's over. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I can spend my time playing video games doing something anything else but um now i have two scripts that I, I've, i'm working on one that's kind of completed the first draft on about the pandemic right and i'm working on another one it's like a murder mystery um the murder mystery will probably be a little more filmable um though that's in the early stages of writing so in this world you can have a great product but if nobody sees it it's kind of like what's the sound of one tree falling in the forest or what's the sound of one hand clapping. So let's get into promotion. Now, what I did, um, I, look, I, did, I watched one of the interviews you did on a podcast. So I wanted to get a feel for you. Right. Woman's a little quirky, but quirky works. And she and she loved you. Oh, yeah. yeah she she absolutely loved you. And she had her own style. And, you know, I, all our styles differ. So props to her and props to you. <laughs> when I saw your responses. So. Social media is a beast. It can be abused, but it is a beast. So how do you go about promoting what you do to get the word out? Social media, I hope you enjoy this experience with this podcast because I'm loving having you here Thank face you. to face. Yeah, this is great. So how how do you do it? How do you do it? Uh, I'm actually the worst at it. Right. Um, admittedly, even all my all my cast and crew, like, Joe, you are terrible at promoting. <laughs> I'm like, you're right. Um, so I just make it, I submit it to film festivals. If I get in somewhere, I post it online, say, hey, check this out. Uh, ultimately, it's probably my biggest weakness is I'm not very good at promoting. Um, you're doing I probably, a good job right now. <laughs> I need somebody, like an actual person to come in and just flower the internet and just promote the heck out of it. So when we made Amazon Prime, uh, Chris and Irene and, and just about everybody was flooding their pages saying, hey, we're on Amazon Prime, check it out. And from there, someone from the Long Island Herald saw it and he reached out to me and then I ended up in the, we ended up on the front page of the paper, the Long Island Herald, they were just talking about the film. Um, so, uh, I actually haven't figured out how to promote yet. <laughs> and I'm still learning as we go in that aspect. So we're going to take another short break. This is a podcast, Artful Periscope. Here's the tease. I'm Ben Joseph about 
how he handles sex scenes. We'll be right back after a short break. The Artful Periscope is brought to you by Larry Davidson Productions. To learn more about Larry, previous interviews, and further content, visit LarryDavidsonProductions.com. Welcome back to the podcast, Artful Periscope. By the way, recorded at the studio at the Sachem Public Library. So I, and we tease it was because there is a sex scene, I maybe more, more than one, in your film. Now, Hollywood has changed their standards. There's intimacy coordinators now. Make sure everybody's comfortable on set. You're a different animal. You're an independent filmmaker. So how did you go about handling the sex scenes in your movie, Broken Hearted? Oh, it's so awkward. Um, well, that's why I asked the yeah. question. <laughs> I'll probably never do another one. It was so weird. Uh, basically, I just, I asked the actors, like, are you guys okay with this scene? It's intimate. Obviously, there wouldn't be any nudity. And um, they said, yeah, sure, we're fine with it. And I think we filmed that day. I had my, I had Danielle, one of the assistant directors there, um, a couple other uh, uh, people from the set. And then, you know, I just direct it and funny thing is is that that entire romance scene was all shot you know within the span of a few hours from when he they get out of the car into the living room and then eventually make their way into the right, bedroom right um and we filmed that all in sequence so once they got to the part where they were kissing i'm like okay just do it a little bit more and um i just tried to get through it as quickly as i could <laughs> um because it's so creepy telling people how to kiss and, and touch each other and, and and then you set all this romantic lighting up um i didn't like it i'm never gonna do it again <laughs> uh well why 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 were you so uncomfortable there was nothing out there. they were fine they were fine so <laughs> i I'm, we're doing this interview face to face and let me tell you why i like doing interviews face to face because we do a lot through zoom because some of my guests are all over the country right. some are international so i can see them but I think it's so important, and it gets back to the profession of acting, to read body language. Yeah. Right now, I see you're a little bit uncomfortable, <laughs> but sure. body language is so important. So I almost extrapolate from that. Do your characters have the skill, and I assume they do, to read each other's body language? Because body language is nonverbal. Sex scenes are, in a sense, almost nonverbal. It's more like action. Um, well, that that love scene... At the end, and I'm right. You said love scene. I said yeah. sex scene. So yeah. you can correct me. They That's were, right. Well, it's kind of a love scene because there's this triangle there. It's a really interesting triangle. So one of your characters, when the boyfriend calls, have been away. She always has to say, "I love you to death," and you are you the best person I've ever had right. sex with. It's almost a mantra, which is really disturbing when Brian has to hear us every time when she talks to the kind of out of the way boyfriend. He's like a very manipulative. Very much so. Guy. Very much so. Um, so, yeah, uh, we filmed that toward the end. So by that time, they had a lot more familiarity with each other. And they were fine with it. They were, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, like Chris takes his shirt off. He didn't care. And, and Irene's wearing, like, she was fully clothed. But, you know, you make it look in a way where they're not wearing any clothes. And um, I just don't want to, it's just so weird telling people how to kiss and how to make out and how to touch each other. It's It's such a private thing. And you, you have to be like, well, it didn't look right for the camera, so I need you to just kind of turn right. your face this right. way right. And, and, and look that way. Um, so um, it's just, you know, and then you have like, I don't know how many people watching you as you do it. And then there's like a microphone and there's all these things. It's it's awkward. It's, right. it's so it's awkward. <laughs> so here's my awkward question to you. Yeah. At heart... I love happy endings. Mm -hmm. I guess a little bit of it being romantic. Did you have an alternative ending for your film? Because when the film ends, I'm and once again there's a reveal right in this right. at the yeah. end. I'm saying, you know, I, I was hoping for something slightly different where the hero comes to the rescue yeah. and you. But God bless you, you're the filmmaker. This is the ending you wanted. But did you think about that? Uh, well, I went through a few drafts. None of them were a happy ending. Uh, a couple of the ideas, people were going to end up dead at the end through their own fate or through just right. I can see that tragic twists. Um, but we didn't necessarily go that way. Um, 
there is a happy ending in there. It's just not the happy ending you want. So you, say. you consider that a happy ending then? Um, that's I, my that's my question to you. Yeah, you know, they all went their perspective paths. Okay. Right. Um, it's just not the happy ending. It's more realistic ending, perhaps. Uh, the the big thing though was this couple that you watch primarily through the film. As you watch them, they're really not. They really don't flow together. It would be a disservice to take two people like that and and, and put them together. It just never quite. They never quite connect. You know, he's too his 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 head someplace else. Sometimes. His expectations are way okay. too high, right. and where she wants to go in life, you know, he can't get his head around it. They they just clash way too much. Um, so, like that first half of the film, you think it's going to go that way, and it builds and it gets better and it's better, and that's when you take the cliche and you pull the wind out from them. You go, no, it's not going to go that way. So here's a, a, la- a question about location, location, location. There's a scene where they're at, quote unquote, a Carvel place. They have to change the name because mm-hmm. they can't call Carvel. There's, oh, there's, sorry. That's all right. This, we have no problem. That's probably somebody that's just seen the film Broken Hearted and wants to find out where they can find it. Tell them they can find it on Amazon Prime if you want to talk. <laughs> I to apologize. Them. I thought I turned this off. That's all right. We, we've had we've had worse than that. We've had things drop. I spilled hot tea one time, so you're in you're in in, in good shape. Uh-huh. So we talk about the endings. I'm curious about what filmmakers do you look up to? Do you aspire to be? Kind of follow up on that. Who would you watch? What movie would you watch? What actors that you like besides the world that you exist in right now? Right. Actors or film filmmakers? We talk directors. I could give you a laundry list. Well, of directors give us a little bit of a laundry list. Laundry list. You start with um, Steven Spielberg, okay. George Lucas, uh, James Cameron. Right. He's got a movie coming out about his life. Essentially, Spielberg. He does. And it almost be a bio flip about his life. It's gonna be very interesting. Feel that out. Yeah. Yeah. He never lets me down. Any Spielberg movie I watch, I'm always like, "This is a really good movie." <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, you know, people like I always since I'm on, you know, might as well talk about it. Hook is a uh, a very underrated film by Spielberg. A lot of people like to Robin Williams. Yeah, another Robin Williams. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is really, actually, really well done. A lot of people give it a lot of negative reviews, but um, there's nothing wrong with that movie. And uh, what's probably one of his worst movies, like 1941, I think it was called, or something. And even that's not that bad. Belushi. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ackroyd. I think, I think he had a, a part in writing that one too. Anyway, right. but. Um, <laughs> The, um, you know, uh, if you look at maybe Paul Thomas Anderson's another one. And if you're going old school, I go Frank Capra with the way he did his filmmaking. When he shot it. Yeah, definitely. The look, the look. Yeah. Um, if I could copy that, um, just yeah. even those subtle camera movements he would yeah. do. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's directors and I could give you even more, but. <laughs> It would be a few hours. Well, we'll do that after podcast yeah. ends. So this is how we end every episode. And you're my only guest today. So thank you so much for being mm-hmm. with on longer than normal with most of my guests. I end the segment with, or the episode with, what did I miss? What did I get wrong? Joseph, what did I miss? What did I get wrong? Uh, what do you mean, what did you miss? Well, that, something to bring up in the conversation about what you do. If I misstated something about your works or the movies that you work on, did, right. did I miss anything you want to talk about? Well, actually, yeah. Um, okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, my film, I have a couple of films out right now. Um, Retirement Disaster is going to be playing, it's a short film playing at New York Long Island Film Festival next weekend, October 20th. That's Saturday. Um and then my film, The Cosplayer, and my short film, The Gift of Ghost Cowboy, are going to be at DerpyCon in New Brunswick, New Jersey, uh, Halloween weekend. So I think it's playing on like the 28th uh, or whatever that Saturday is. So um, if you guys want to see my films with a crowd, with an audience, and you're in the New Jersey area, go to DerpyCon or you know go to Nightlife. Um, Broken Hearted actually won Best Feature at Nightlife right, right. in 2020. So uh, they're always very nice to me, and they always they always screen at least one of my films there. I appreciate that. Joseph, it's been a pleasure. Uh, once again, I want to give you all the props. Pronounce your name properly so that I don't kill it. Uh, Joseph Amendolia. All right. It's got, it's got a rhythm to that. What is your background, by the way? Um, well, okay. 
the the name's Italian, but um, English, Irish, Italian, German, Scottish, and Dutch. Well, there you go. Now I know why you're a filmmaker. A lot to draw on with all yeah. those influences in terms of culture. I'm Larry Davidson. Till next time. Bye bye. This has been the podcast. The Artful Periscope podcast is brought to you by The Booth at the Sachem Public Library in Holbrook, New York, consistently voted the best on Long Island since 2015. You can find the Artful Periscope podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks goes to our producer, Christy Crisofaro, sound editors and engineer, Ryan O'Hagan. The song Alleluia is performed by Vanessa, and you can find her music at starfrost.com. October Blues is performed by Dana Songs and can be found at danasongs.com. If you enjoy this podcast, visit Larry Davidson's website for more interesting content at larrydavidsonsproductions.com. You can also find out about other author-related events by visiting Sachem Public Library's website at sachemlibrary.org. Join us next time as we pull the thread which weaves the tale that affects us all. Tired to-